0: I've listened to Shake Your Money Maker by the Black Crows for months.
1: And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It.
0: everybody, and welcome back to Spin It, the record-ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me is Connor. It's me. It's you. And today, we're talking about the Black Crows. You might think this is an easy episode, but boy, they're sure hard to handle.
1: Ha
0: ha ha ha. Okay, didn't like that one?
1: It was kind of predictable.
0: Okay. I don't ever claim to be unpredictable. I do. (laughs) It's true. You're a bit of a wild card.
1: It's the role I play.
0: What do you know about the Black Crows? I I think this is a band that may be beyond your scope of music listening. I know a lot. A lot?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Really? How so? I know the Black Crows are another band out of Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Um, And I think they're our first Atlanta band since R.E.M. Um, Donald Glover was also from Atlanta, by the way.
0: Yeah, but he's not a band. He's just one guy.
1: No, you're right. He's just one guy.
0: So I think you're probably right about that.
1: I know the band was formed in 1984, and they were actually among some of R.E.M.'s earliest local fans.
0: Oh, that is cool.
1: So much so that they cite the band as a big influence.
0: Yeah, I can believe, actually. I mean, we talked about how R.E.M. were really influential. Were kind of pioneers for that alt rock sound and style and so you know as co-atlanta bands yeah i can see that guess you do know a lot
1: yeah i know a bit about their lineup as well or at least the initial lineup that recorded you know the album we're doing today yeah yeah Who? well you know i'll let you take over from here
0: okay i was gonna put you to the test and see how well you could um read my notes <laughs> <laughs> so far you were a perfect 100 percent.
1: yeah but we were getting the names and that's always sketchy for me yeah so i thought i'd quit while i was head
0: Okay, good move, I I think that is a good move. But yeah, you're totally spot on. The band's founding lineup is the same that put out this first debut album, and that includes brothers Chris and Rich Robinson, who sang and played the guitar, Johnny Colt, who played the bass, Steve Gorman, the drummer, and Jeff Cease, who played the guitar. And this was actually Jeff's only release with the band. He would depart following Shake Your Money Maker. But, I mean, beyond that initial lineup, the Black Crows are yet another band plagued by a revolving door of lineup changes. Between 1991 to the present, they've had 22 different members. And we're obviously not able to dig too far into that since we're talking about their debut album. But we will. Well... No. We won't.
1: No? Oh, I've read that one wrong. My bad.
0: No, that's like extracurricular work. Like if you're really interested in the Black Crows after hearing us talk about them and listening to this album.
1: Extracurricular work looks good on a college application.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess it does. You know what? Even though college admission season is pretty much over, you can still uh, job applications then. Any kind of application. Honestly, add it to your resume.
1: Really? Yeah, just in general.
0: Add it to your resume. Spin it. Writing department. Research department. In charge of looking up extra information about the black crows
1: art department whatever department you're a part of yeah
0: it looks great on a resume i hope
1: Yeah, it's online.
0: Well, that's exciting. Anyway, a lot of lineup changes. A lot of band members, kind of the same deal as Yes, where there's just so many. But Chris and Rich Robinson founded this band in high school early on, hoping to kind of bring a new spark to blues rock. They initially called the band Mr. Crow's Garden, still Crow with an E, by the way. It was named after a kid's book called Johnny Crow's Garden by Leonard Brooks. But I really, I don't know. Mr. Crow's Garden is a, it's not as cool of a name as the Black Crow.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Did I look up that book? I feel like I looked up that book. I don't remember.
1: The mixtaper looked at that book. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Is it good? Is it worth reading? Should I add it to my library?
1: I don't think he thought it was. He kind of decided there was nothing there worth his while.
0: Okay. No fun facts about Johnny Crow's Garden. By 1987, the Black Crows, well, at the time, Mr. Crow's Garden, they're cutting demos with AM Records, and they even got to work under the record label founded by REM's manager, Jefferson Holt. Also, if you want context for all these R.A.M. things, by the way. We did a whole episode on them way back in, well, just before the Gradies, Episode 79. So check that out if you're interested.
1: Oh yeah, way back. Way back. You said way back and I was like, they weren't way back.
0: <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things, no, not that far.
1: We're almost at a hundred episodes. We've got- as many episodes as there are Dalmatians.
0: No. I mean, there's 101.
1: Well, Dalmatian puppies. Okay. yes, There's 99 Dalmatian puppies.
0: Yeah, it's true. That feels like a better joke to do on episode 101.
1: Well, I'll be able to make it again because then it'll be about like the full, the full group.
0: Oh, we'll add Pongo and Perdita. Yeah. Sure. Whatever you say. <laughs> I've only seen 101 Dalmatians one time, I think.
1: It's a wild movie.
0: Yeah, it is. Not the most like plot hole empty Disney plot.
1: Yeah. Think about how nice of a coat those puppies would have made.
0: Not nice of one at all. And also the whole conflict was resolved just by a bunch of animals yelling at each other. Right? I feel like... I don't remember... Oh, all the puppies get kidnapped, and then they independently find a way to escape. Meanwhile, Pongo and Perdita, they go on the hunt, but all the hunt is, is just all the animals yelling to each other, like playing a big game of telephone across the countryside to try and find the Dalmatians. Oh.
1: Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Well, it's there. I've also, think only seen the movie, like, one time forever ago. I have all the Dalmatians, though, that were part of the McDonald's, like, Happy Meal. What? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Hold on, what? You didn't know this? Did they release 101 Happy Meal toys? Yeah,
1: or 99 of them, I think, just for the puppy. I don't remember. Let me look. What
0: do you mean you have them, like, in your apartment?
1: I have them all, yeah.
0: What? I would say since when, but it sounds like, I mean, since the 90s. <laughs> when did they do this? I don't for a while. Wow.
1: They go for, like, 150 bucks on eBay. They did 101 different ones. They're in a tub. I'm actually still looking for a good way to display them.
0: Wow. Well, you think you know a guy.
1: Yeah, my grandfather collected them. So like anytime we'd be at like a flea market or a garage sale, we had to look for Dalmatians. We all had like pictures on our phones and like a little like notebook of which ones he was missing. Wow. And now they're mine. Now you sound like Corolla DeVille. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Am I the villain? No. I can't believe you didn't know I had those. I feel like he knew I had those.
0: No, I don't think I did. I, I really feel like that's the first time I've heard about it. At least beyond <laughs> like a passing mention.
1: But anyway, where were
0: we? I somewhere in 1987 when uh, Mr. Crow's Garden is making demos with R.E.M.'s manager Jefferson Holt. Gotcha. Yeah, so R.E.M. episode 79, check it out. Meanwhile, episode 99, The Black Crows. They're starting to pick up some gigs way far away from Atlanta in New York City, and they start expanding their musical horizons, start incorporating rockier influences like the Rolling Stones, like Humble Pie, adding stuff into their repertoire that's new. And that is the point where they change their name to The Black Crows. Get that super cool new name going shortly thereafter in february of 1990 they put out their very first record this one shake your money maker it's named in honor of an elmore james song and while they played the song shake your money maker plenty they actually never recorded it for the album never cut it so huh yeah it's kind of ironic (laughs) to name the whole album after a title track that you love and play a lot and never put here they recorded shake your money maker both in Atlanta, and in Los Angeles, California. And it was produced by George Dracolias, who was the apprentice of the famed Rick Rubin, who I know we've talked about before. Shake Your Money Maker was actually Dracolias' first adventure into producing. But after the Black Crows, he would go on to work with the Jayhawks, Tom Petty, the Wu-Tang Clan, Susan Tedeschi, and many more.
1: Many more.
0: Yes. Shake Your Money Maker, I think, probably still stands as the Black Crows' biggest achievement. It's definitely their best-selling album. It went five times platinum in the US, charted at number four on the Billboard 200, and it also performed really well in New Zealand, the UK, Sweden, and Australia. Bit of an international hit. And it ended up at number three on the Billboard's year-end charts in 1991. So, I mean, to me, that just says this album is a really consistent seller over the course of the whole entire year to come out in February and end up at the year-end charts. It's impressive.
1: That's impressive. Mm
0: -hmm. Nine of the album's ten tracks are originals written by the Robinson Brothers, with the exception of Hard to Handle and a hidden track called Live Too Fast Blues and Mercy Sweet Moan, which are Otis Redding covers. The album was supported by five different singles. Can you guess what the singles are?
1: Twice as hard. Yep. Jealous again. Yep. Hard to handle. Yep. She talks to angels. Yep. And ah. Uh, seeing things
0: seeing things wow you got them all (laughs) and almost in album order that was impressive
1: four of them were really easy that last one i had to think
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know it's because four of the band's five singles from this album were four of the band's biggest hits of all time yeah i believe those four tracks are also the four that got music videos to be featured on mtv so nice yeah gotta get that mtv exposure That's what the 80s and 90s were all about for a lot of pop bands. Anyway, after the album took off and the Black Crows started breaking into the spotlight, they actually opened for the sharp dressed men themselves, ZZ Top, a band that we talked about on episode 89. Yeah. Wow. We went from episode 79 to 89 to 99 this week. That's cool. Wow. I know. ZZ Top. Gotta love them. And on their European tours, they played alongside metal legends like Metallica, ACDC, and Motley Crue. Also, noteworthy, in a future context, they're opening for Aerosmith on their upcoming farewell tour. Oh, cool. Yeah, really cool. I think they're a great pair.
1: That'd be a fun tour to go see.
0: It is going to be a fun tour to go see. So that's that's the context to Shake Your Money Maker, our album today. The rest of the band's history... You know, after Shake Your Money Maker, they underwent their first series of lineup changes. They spent the decade dropping five more records before a 2002 hiatus, following their drummer, Steve Gorman, leaving the band. They came out of that hiatus in 2005. Gorman actually came back to the band after all, and they kept rocking until 2015, when they had a really sudden breakup due to some ownership disputes about the band. You know, some of their shares of ownership were changing hands. They started treating their members, their, you know, 22 different different band members like, contractors instead of full-time members of the band. It just wasn't a good time. Like, not a good time. The Robinson brothers stopped talking to each other altogether. They also, I mean, had solo projects going on at the time, so their attention was already divided, not focused solely on the Black Crows. But of course, a sudden breakup in 2015 is not the end of the story. They got back together again in 2019, but the only remaining members originally were just the Robinson brothers. Everyone else was new. Eventually, they did, pick up longtime former bassist Sven Pipian, and the band is, like I said, still active to this day. Their most recent release was a 2022 EP, so there's still new Black Crow's music coming, even after all the turmoil. In total, the band's put out eight studio albums, five live albums, and the one EP so far. And as far as their awards and accolades go, aside from two multi-platinum albums and one gold album, they were nominated for a Best New Artist Grammy in 1991. They lost to Mariah Carey, the Queen of Christmas. (laughs) Their music videos also got some attention. They were nominated for three VMA awards in 1990 and 1991. So that's the Black Crows shaking their moneymaker. Honestly, this album is their moneymaker.
1: They're shaking it. If
0: I had to guess, they're shaking it. Darn right. It's time, once again, for Fact or Spin, and I'll be honest, <laughs> I think I've kind of hit rock bottom.
1: Yeah, you say that, but there's still farther down you can go if you don't get some points this week.
0: I know. Well, let's get the mixtape run out here and figure out whether he's going to tell us some true facts about the Black Crows or some lies some spins spin your moneymaker
1: hey it's me the mixtaper you stole my joke right before i got here how dare you oh wait really yeah
0: <laughs> my bad man maybe i really do need to reevaluate how funny i am if i'm making the same jokes as what what you try to say nothing
1: you're lucky i'm in such a good mood
0: yeah maybe us being on the same wavelength will help me in this round maybe it'll hurt me i don't know
1: only one way to find out
0: yeah yeah so you're writing a two episode shutout streak
1: sure i am my third one total.
0: I have missed eight factor spin questions in a row. Yeah. It's not my finest hour.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know how you feel. I did that in one episode once.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, when you played against Connor on the Ray Stevens episode.
1: So now you guys know how it feels.
0: <laughs> yep, yep, I really do. I, I <laughs> really do. <laughs> well, hit me with that first allegedly true fact about the Black Crows.
1: Uh, I need you to hit me with a number first. One through four. They almost had a very problematic name. Very
0: problematic name. Hmm. Well, Mr. Crow's Garden doesn't seem too problematic, but I can see how this would get out of hand. What is the problematic name that they avoided? Can we even say it on a podcast? How problematic are we? Yeah. Okay.
1: Cobb County Crows. Hmm. But the first letter is not the letter you think it is.
0: Okay, no. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's the letter I think it is now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ooh, that's not good.
1: And they even wanted to go by the abbreviation, like the acronym. No way. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. Why? Well, I shouldn't say that they wanted to. I should say someone wanted to. Okay, who's that? The man in charge, Rick Rubin.
0: Rick Rubin. Oh, interesting.
1: He hated the name Mr. Crow's Garden.
0: Uh, Naturally, as everyone did.
1: We gotta change it. It sucks. And he pitched... Cobb County Crows. Yeah, but. And said to spell it with the acronym. And, you know, the band all laughed, thought he was telling a joke. And he was like, no, I'm serious. I think that'd be marketable.
0: No way. Cobb County. That's, I mean, the county is pretty much northwestern Atlanta, right? Where Marietta is. And it's already spelled with a C. Like Cobb County Crows with C's is like, fine. What's wrong with that?
1: Wasn't edgy enough.
0: I, you know, but there's a line, right? So they obviously didn't ever really consider this
1: no they told him to uh, you know what himself and said that it was completely insulting on every level but he pushed it hard yikes
0: uh, that's pretty tone deaf even for 1991 and was the black crows the immediate solution to this is that when they like changed
1: it's what they cha- ended up changing to. i don't know how immediate it was
0: i wondered if there were any other names in between that were like Mm-mm. not problematic but silly Mm-mm. Mm, thought it would be marketable i don't know if I can think of many less marketable names.
1: He, just, he thought it'd be like punk rock, you know? Like... Sure, like shock value. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Well, I think I'm going to say this one is
1: a fact. Going with a fact.
0: Yeah, I think so. I... I don't think this is a thing you came up with on your own. Yeah? I think the Cobb County thing is too specifically Atlanta. I don't know. If you did come up with this on your own, I'd be pretty impressed. Because that's a a very convincing lie, if it's not true.
1: Yeah. Well, like you said, Cobb County froze with all c's would have made perfectly good sense
0: yeah it would have don't tell me that that's what they thought about don't tell me that you just changed
1: the, the letters to a and then lied about it that's what i'm telling you no because i am a big old liar this is a true fact okay
0: it's a true fact they really did almost have a really problematic acronym
1: Mm-hmm.
0: congratulations oh the streak is broken <laughs> the curse is lifted.
1: Well, yeah, we should say the, the, like, running tally streak is broken. We'll see how the episode ends. I'm on a not losing streak right now.
0: Okay, yeah, but at least I haven't been shut out. Actually, you're on a very good not losing streak. Mm-hmm. The last time you lost was Twisted Sister.
1: The 90s have been good to me.
0: They sure have.
1: Pick another number.
0: Let's go for number one.
1: Number one. Yeah. Good one. They got kicked off a tour in their hometown.
0: Ooh, not our first artist that's been kicked off a tour. Eric Church also had that. What tour did they get kicked off of? Who were they opening for? The
1: ZZ Top Tour that you mentioned. Really?
0: Which is Z- I don't know which ZZ Top Tour it was. Are we talking like the Worldwide Texas Tour? Are we talking, you know, their bigger and better tour that came after that?
1: Uh, this was in 1991.
0: I guess the Worldwide Texas Tour would have been much earlier than this. 1991 tour, what are they up to that gets them kicked off?
1: Saying things they shouldn't.
0: Yeah, this episode is real edgy. <laughs> what kind of things are they saying? Into whom?
1: The fans, to the audience.
0: To the audience. Are they bad-mouthing ZZ Top or something?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Black Rose, height of their popularity in 1991. Mm-hmm. I, and I guess, I did I mention that it was in their hometown? Did yeah, I say you that did.
0: Part? Yeah, that's part of the fact. Okay,
1: making sure. They uh, were in Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. performing with ZZ Top Woo. and Robinson, one of them, yeah, one of them. I don't remember which one. Said that he didn't like that they were trying to censor what he was saying. Partway through their set, they would like stop the music and just kind of talk to the crowd. Sure. And the like tour managers were trying to censor what he could talk about.
0: What was he trying to talk about that was like getting him in trouble?
1: He liked to yell out into the crowd. This is live rock and roll being brought to you commercial free.
0: I don't quite see how that was a big issue. Is that like a dig at radio
1: stations? Yeah, well, the Black Crows didn't like how many... Uh, rock and roll bands viewed their tours as just commercials to sell albums
0: oh okay like kiss effect
1: yeah but the lone wolf productions who was like running the tour thought it was a slam against miller beer who was the corporate sponsor for the tour
0: what yeah
1: that's rough and didn't like the connotation of them saying it came to you commercial freak it made it sound like it was a knock on the advertising
0: well to be fair it kind of does
1: yeah and so they told him stop doing that.
0: But he, so he had done that before Atlanta. They get to Atlanta. He continues to do it and gets kicked off.
1: Well, in Atlanta, he said, "Don't tell me what to say. Just kick us off." Hmm. And they
0: did. And they said, "Okay, goodbye." <laughs> mm-hmm. They eliminated them. ZZ Top gave him the old eliminator. <laughs> Interesting.
1: (laughs) And because it was in their hometown, you know, it caused a big ruckus.
0: Yeah. How big a ruckus are we talking?
1: It was in like all the papers and the news and whatnot.
0: Okay. Standard calm ruckus. Standard ruckus. Certified ruckus. I don't buy this one. Whoa. Yeah, I'm not believing it all the way.
1: You think their tours were not commercial free?
0: Well, no, that's not the part that I'm having trouble with. Oh, okay. I think maybe they did get kicked off a tour. I don't think it was maybe in their hometown. I don't know. Some of the details seem a little iffy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. The slight against an advertiser, I guess I understand, but it doesn't feel like that much of a slight. It was just a one-time, two-time issue. I'm going to lock in Spin.
1: And just like that, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a true fact.
0: Aww. Well, some of the things were a little specific. I thought some elements of this were true the whole time, but I thought some details had been shuffled. But
1: sometimes I walk that line, right? Where I just put true details into a spin.
0: It's true. You do. That makes things really tough. You know, that first fact was pretty difficult, but this one was twice as hard. (laughs) Let's hope the next one is twice as easy.
1: Let's say I hope the next one's hard to handle.
0: It might be. You're hard to handle (laughs) just as a person.
1: Hey, hey. Yeah. That's how I like it, though.
0: Right. Well, let's hope sister luck is with me on fact number 2. Fact
1: number 2. They threw a wild party.
0: Okay. Uh at first glance this sounds believable. How wild of a party? I mean, certified ruckus? It
1: it was a little more than a certified ruckus.
0: Okay. On a level of like Nirvana getting kicked out of their own album release party to Twisted Sister dismantling clubs at the foundations. Like, what level of party
1: are we talking about? <laughs> I would say it's actually below both of those. But below? Yeah, I mean, they didn't get kicked out of anything, and they didn't destroy anything that I'm aware of.
0: Well, how wild of a party could it be?
1: Oh, that's fair. I don't know, that was a pretty big amount of money. Oh, an expensive party. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Should I just save you the trouble of, like, officially starting the game and just make some guesses at how much? Audience,
1: audience, there was a moment of silence there where both James and I knew that I was waiting on him to ask how much, and he knew I wanted that so that I could say, let's play everybody's second favorite game show.
0: Oh, he still said
1: it. Guess that dollar amount. A million dollar party? Maybe. Maybe. I really don't know how much.
0: Oh, gosh. This again. <laughs> What'd they do that made it so wild and so expensive?
1: You see, it was prior to the release of their Amorica album. Okay. And they found out how much money had been set aside in the budget for the EPKs. And spent all of it. <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know what an EPK is, it's the electronic press kits, which are those talking head interviews that the local news stations air when like the band comes to town.
0: Yeah. Not only those. It's just a bunch of information and footage. Yeah. You know, things that you could use as media to... Promote the band, things that you've been given permission to use.
1: It was a, apparently, sources say, pretty largeable chunk of money.
0: Pretty, sorry, pretty I,
1: largeable? I missed a word. I missed a word there.
0: It's largeable <laughs> and numerous chunk of money.
1: I kind of combined large and sizable.
0: <laughs> you did. And you made a really great word. I, I think that's, that's
1: a good one. But anyway, a lot of money set aside for these, right? Right. And they decided the money could be better spent. So they used the money to decorate their recording studio. In crazy 60s gear...
0: Ooh, that sounds fun.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what else sounds fun? What? The tons and tons of marijuana, magic mushrooms, LSD, and alcohol that they also purchased with the money.
0: Well, that will raise your budget pretty high pretty fast.
1: Yeah. Uh, and then what really sounds fun is making it a costume party. Uh-oh.
0: We have any <laughs> weird costumes at this party?
1: Probably. But you see, what they did was, you know, because these this money was bookmarked for the EPKs, right?
0: Yeah. So then you don't have an EPK.
1: Oh, oh, don't worry about that they, they got that covered because this party was thrown for the members of the press recording executive promoters and all the other industry types and you know oh. invited them to the costume party and said if you don't come in a costume you're not allowed in Hmm.
0: well that's an ultimatum
1: and they filmed the whole thing like you guessed
0: oh wow i can't see that ending well for them were the repercussions for this who was in charge of the money in the band who didn't say don't do that
1: I'm sure plenty of people said don't do that, but they were pretty dead set on it. Uh, it, The party apparently got so wild that the footage could never see a lease.
0: Really? I mean, that's got to be pretty bad.
1: But apparently small little clips of it circulate online, though I could not find any.
0: Wow. This is another tricky one because apparently you have no evidence and are missing some key details.
1: But Does that make it more true or more of a spin?
0: How would that make it? I don't know how that would make it more true. <laughs> I think I am, though, going to say it's a fact. Yeah, I think I'm going to say it's a fact.
1: Because it made it more true. <laughs> All right. Well, this is an interesting one because this is a true fact. It is. Which means you wow. have a chance to win. If you can get this last one. I've set myself
0: up. Ooh, I'm excited. Sister Luck was with me.
1: Yeah. So I guess let's see how you do on our last supposedly true
0: fact. I suppose it could be true.
1: They were accused of a crime they didn't commit.
0: That's the worst kind of crime to be accused for.
1: Yeah. Or is it? Probably not. (laughs) Actually,
0: you know what? It might be the better kind of crime to be accused for.
1: Yeah, I guess I'd rather be accused of a crime I didn't commit than when I did. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, what crime was alleged against them?
1: Causing a ruckus. Stop.
0: <laughs> Certified ruckus. How do you mean?
1: I guess when I said they it implied the whole band, but really I'm just talking about Chris Robinson, <laughs> just to be clear. Just one guy. Yeah. He caused a ruckus at a Seven Eleven.
0: Oh, that's a sad place to cause a ruckus, but he didn't. He was just accused of it. Correct. So how does this happen? What really happens at the 7-Eleven? And what are people accusing? Uh,
1: A ruckus did occur, just not caused by Chris Robinson.
0: Okay, but like, what's the nature of the ruckus? Is it small? Is it largeable?
1: It was small. It was a small ruckus. Okay. Basically, you know, again, this was in 1991, height of the popularity of the Black Crows. Before they were kicked off the tour, the hit singles that they had had cemented their names in the minds of each and every person in America. (laughs)
0: Each and every? Uh. (laughs) Wow. And cemented.
1: Our scene opens on the 7-Eleven, late at night, too late to legally sell alcohol. At the time.
0: Oh, that is a dangerous situation prone to ruckus.
1: Enters a man who really wants some alcohol.
0: Yeah. Is it Chris Robinson or is he already there?
1: It is a man who looks like Chris Robinson.
0: A doppelganger? A doppelganger enough. So Chris Robinson's not even there. No. And this man just looks a lot like him.
1: But the Black Crows were in town for... A concert.
0: Oh, that's an unfortunate coincidence. What town?
1: I actually don't know. <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Okay. Don't have a town for you. But there was apparently a Black Rose superfan, or I guess they thought they were a Super fan. Couldn't even recognize Chris Robinson. Or
0: couldn't even <laughs> recognize not Chris Robinson.
1: This man, you know, causes a ruckus in the store.
0: Yeah, shakes his moneymaker.
1: He shakes his moneymaker, steals some Twinkies.
0: Twinkies? Oh.
1: Yeah, and left the store. In a huff after causing a ruckus. Yeah. As he was, you know, stealing the Twinkies and running out of the store. As one does. As one does. The super fan yells, that's the lead singer of the Black Crows.
0: What? Called him out in the moment? Yeah. That's so wild.
1: Police were called. Reports were written. Misunderstandings ensued.
0: No way. No way. Yeah, no way. No, if I am a cashier at a 7-Eleven. I mean, I know a lot of bands. I know a lot of artists. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of very famous people who could rob my 7-Eleven that I wouldn't know offhand. Yeah. And I don't think...
1: First off, it wasn't the cashier who knew... That it was the Black Crows. It was someone else in the store.
0: Just a random person also in the Seven Eleven, it Late at night, the midnight hour.
1: Get your facts straight.
0: Yeah, I'm not getting my facts straight on this one at all, because there's not a fact in this. Fair enough. This feels like a spin.
1: Feels like a spin. Locking it in?
0: I'm going with spin. I think the odds of someone being able to...
1: The odds that a fan of a band see somebody that looks like a member of their favorite band that is in town... To play a show.
0: Okay, but I guess my main question...
1: (laughs) Like, let's say, like, when we went to see Elton John, what if we saw a dude that looked a little bit like Elton John go into a 7-Eleven and steal some Twinkies? Would you not be a little suspicious that it was actually Elton John? Well,
0: yeah, I guess. I guess maybe. Anyway. Goodbye, Yellow Sponge Cake Road.
1: Oh. So, you're locking in spin.
0: Well, you make a convincing argument. I want to know a couple more things.
1: Oh my gosh, okay.
0: Does this guy look like Chris Robinson? I don't have a picture. Oh. Because, like, if he doesn't, well, then that superfan was just lying.
1: I mean, he'd have to look a little bit like him. Or, I guess, or the other superfan was lying.
0: Yeah. My other question is how do we know that it wasn't Chris Robinson? I,
1: I mean, I assume he had an alibi since. The story goes, he didn't actually do it. Either that or you got away with it, sly little devil.
0: Yeah, got some Twinkies out of it, too. <laughs> I think this is a spin. I think you've thrown me three fastball facts right up the middle, and I think on this one you're just hitting me with that slow curve, trying to throw me off speed.
1: I don't know baseball.
0: <laughs> you know enough to know that was baseball,
1: so. Spin enough. Got me there. Locking in spin. Uh, yeah, I'm locking in spin. This is a spin. Yeah. I did it. I broke the losing streak. Surprisingly, though, it's more of a fact than you thought.
0: Well, what's <laughs> not true? Is it really Chris Robinson?
1: Chris Robinson actually caused a ruckus in a 7-Eleven wanting to buy alcohol too late.
0: <laughs> it was really him. It was really him. So when my last question, I said, are we sure it wasn't? And he just lied to my face. Yeah. Because we're sure it was.
1: And he didn't run out. He actually did end up with a trip in handcuffs and had to spend the night in jail.
0: Did he get to keep keep and eat the Twinkies
1: though no I don't think so
0: wow what's this all been for
1: yeah I know right so you know a customer recognized Robinson said that's the lead singer of the Black Crows and then the not fan cashier the clerk that he was in the argument with about the alcohol went who were the Black Crows and that's really what set him off caused the ruckus
0: oh okay
1: yeah ego yeah
0: See, that makes more sense, because if you were a real super fan of the Black Crows, I mean, this guy would either have to really look a lot like Chris Robinson or be Chris Robinson, because there's there's just no way you'd miss it if it was close.
1: I just kind of thought it was more interesting story to be like, ooh, it's a crime he didn't commit. So I thought that was a fun little twist on a true story.
0: It was. I liked it a lot. Oh, well,
1: yeah. Congratulations.
0: That was a good round of Factor Spin. I feel really good about that.
1: Uh, I mean, I would. You won. Wow. Curse is over.
0: I just I really enjoyed all those facts. I'm glad me too cuz if i don't enjoy the facts it's your job on the line
1: what but my student loans
0: we'll see you next week for the 100th episode well i guess it's not the 100th episode of factor spin cuz we've done guess who are spin for the episode 100 and all the fun factor spin things that go with it for
1: the 100th game show of that's not even true because sometimes we do game shows within game shows
0: i'll be back i'll be back for episode 100 episode 100 (laughs) next week the mixtaper will return for episode 100 it's
1: like the end of the marvel movies you get through all the credits and it goes the mixtaper will return yeah
0: welcome back connor let's talk about the album cover on Shake Your Money Maker. There's frankly, virtually nothing to say. What do you, th- what do you think about their font? It's
1: pretty cool font.
0: I guess. It's a cool font, right? It feels very bluesy, I guess. Very Black crozy And it's a picture of the band.
1: Looking real moody, like they just came down from a ruckus. Love it. A ruckus.
0: Well, let's kick off Shake Your Money Maker. The album starts with the track, Twice As Hard. One of the album's singles and one of the band's biggest hits. Great song. Great song, right?
1: Listen, this one in my car all the time. Really? Yeah. Remember earlier when you accused me of this being outside my sphere of listening? I was really offended.
0: Yeah. You kind of took over and started reading from <laughs> my notes and we didn't get a chance to explore what that meant. Yeah. So I guess we'll cover it here. So you really do listen to a lot of the Black Crows. I don't know
1: about a lot. It's just, you know, they're in my...
0: You just said this one's on your car all the time.
1: Yeah, it's because I have... Sorry.
0: I don't... I-, I listen to this all the time. I don't know if I listen to them a lot, but like <laughs> constantly,
1: you know? I have a greatest hits of like rock and roll playlist. Several of the songs from this album are on it.
0: Well then, yeah, this is one of the greatest hits of rock and roll. These are really notable singles from the 90s. This song, Twice as Hard, reached number 11 on the mainstream rock charts in the US. Good for it. Good for it, right? Basically, the premise is, you know, it's twice as hard as it was the first time I said goodbye. These two got back together and now you're getting back apart. So it's a second breakup. There's a little bit of internet discourse over whether this song is about a relationship or a song about addiction and relapse. But to be honest, I think the lyrics are too ambiguous to definitively say.
1: Or about taking the ACT again. Taking
0: the ACT again. Yeah. I don't I don't think that one quite fits. With the lyrics.
1: It's twice as hard.
0: No, it's supposed to be easier the next time you take the ACT.
1: Yeah, and so to compensate, those people at the ACT headquarters make it twice as hard.
0: But some people are taking it for the first time on your second time.
1: Yeah, those people got screwed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they did. Either way, I like Twice as Hard a lot. I think one of the things that makes Twice as Hard unique is the guitar work. Robinson's guitar is tuned to an open G in this song. It's not the standard EAD-GBE guitar tuning. It's, you know, set so that when he plays the strings without touching a fret. It makes the G chord. So that lets him use all kinds of unique chord voicings and shapes. And he could just get some really interesting sounds out of his guitar because of it. So I love that. The other thing I really love is the singing, the vocals throughout this album.
1: Vocals are very good.
0: Yeah, they're just special. It's it feels a little bit like a cross between blues rock and I almost want to say like a hair metal, you know, like a, it's got that Motley Crue kind of style to it in a blues rock context. There's something about it really works well consistently across this album. I agree. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a fun transition for this because there's surely there's one.
1: Who's surely? You're trying to make me jealous again. <laughs>
0: okay, see, that was a bad one. I mean, that was... <laughs> That was a really, really bad one. That's what made it good. Whatever. Sure. Great transition. Jealous Again is the next track. Track two it's so gritty and bluesy. I just love it. Jealous again, despite being the second track on the album was actually the Black Crow's debut single. It hit number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and charted in four other countries around the globe. That's awesome. It is awesome. It's a song that the Robinson brothers wrote by themselves. Like I said, they did not, you know, cover anything or have outside help or whatever. But in 2008, The band did have to take some legal action on account of this song. Yeah? They alleged that it got ripped off. Artist Gretchen Wilson made a song called Work Hard, Play Harder that drew a lot from Jealous Again. And uh, I listened to that song and I think, yeah, they had a strong case. The instrumentals sound a little bit different, but the vocal melody on the verse is spot on. It's like note for note. I think it's probably a situation, or at least I'd like to believe it's maybe a situation where she had heard the song or or the songwriters who wrote that had heard the song and just subconsciously internalized that melody. You know, like it wasn't malicious theft. (laughs) of intellectual property. Yeah. But either way, it's it's there. They ended up settling out of court for an undisclosed sum. But at the end of the day, they conceded and gave the Robinsons songwriting credits, co-writing credits on Gretchen Wilson's Work Hard, Play Harder. Yeah. So that's always fun. I love it when little changes like that happen. One of the most interesting parts of Jealous Again are the guitar fills that kind of take up some of the empty space in between verses and choruses on it. I, I really like those. It's pretty good. Yeah. What's interesting too is it's a word song but not super long they managed to pack a lot of punch in you know just about four and a half minutes although the next song definitely <laughs> takes a lot longer to pack its punch Sister Luck. It does. It's a good one, though. I like it. I like it, too. It's the third or fourth longest track on the album, which is kind of hard to believe because it comes in at over five minutes. I know. It's the first of the album's four songs that exceed five minutes. It's kind of a ballad, but it's a lot sadder than these first two songs. You know, Twice as hard. It's a little sad, but it doesn't feel sad. Jealous Again is kind of more bitter than sad. Sister Luck really feels a little tragic, you know. Actually, Sister Luck, and just in general, the Black Crows, but specifically Sister Luck, gets compared to the Rolling Stones a lot. And this is a song where I can really hear it. That kind of classic rock, really like Memphis blues-inspired sound, People say this song sounds a lot like the Rolling Stones song, Sway, from their Sticky Fingers record. And oh boy, does it ever. As soon as I read that, I was like, yep, 100%. Do you know the song Sway?
1: I've swayed to it from time to time.
0: Well, then you'll recognize that this one sounds a lot like it. It's an interesting song. The premise is that Sister Luck, right, this personification of good fortune is only working for other people. So you're watching all these other people get lucky and have good things happen to them, while you, meanwhile, get nothing. You're kind of this passive observer to all the good stuff around you and experiencing none of it yourself. There's some great lines in here, too. He says he's feeling second fiddle to a dead man. says no one ever wants to hear it when you're down. I think it's one of the strongest lyrical songs we've seen on this album. A flip of the coin might make a head turn. That's certified poetry.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. I also just, I like the music for this one. It's pretty. Pretty sounding. That's a good way to describe
0: it. Yeah, uniquely memorable and sing-alongable in a way that the first two aren't. Yeah. they're not. It's not a rocker like those, but it's just good. Do you know a thing that I was asking myself a lot after the last two weeks of Factor Spin? <laughs> after I missed fact after fact after fact? I said to myself, could I ever have been so blind? Like, how did I let this happen? And that's what this next song is all about. Could I have been so blind?
1: I hate this title. I
0: know what you're about to say. I was about to make mention of the same thing. (laughs) Honestly, I kind of do too. Just say nothing of the song. Isolate the title from the song. Really think about it. You probably hate this title too. Just think about it. Really think about it.
1: It's just because you have to say the word I've in a way that you usually don't say it for it to sound right. You have to be like, I have. You basically have to undo the contraction for it to make
0: sense. Right. So the title spelled out in full is, could I've apostrophe VE been so blind, right? So could I've been so blind? First of all, yeah, we don't usually use contractions like that. Yeah. It's technically, I think, grammatically correct, but it feels clunky, and it's it's certainly not used. Also, the other thing that annoys me is the phrase, doesn't show up in this
1: song. Oh, I thought it was just, you know how, like, in Star Wars, how the red lightsabers are made by corrupting the kyber crystals of the, like, normal lightsabers? Like, that's what they've done here. They corrupted. Okay,
0: really deep cut analogy.
1: Yeah, they corrupted the contraction, I've, for this title. I could care less that it appears in the song or not. Sure. I that usually annoys me. I just don't like the corruption of that contraction. Sure.
0: So, the title, title's got this song behind the eight ball. That said, though, Could I Have Been So Blind is a lot of fun.
1: Also, just so you know, that's our second Star Wars reference. The first time Star Wars came up on the podcast was in sync. I promised I'd bring it up more often. I just wanted to keep that promise. It
0: came back. Title aside, though, Could I Have Been So Blind is a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it's a surprisingly fun track for being one of the album's least remembered. One of. It's just, it's got to be on the bottom half if you look at all the singles. But, wow, it's it's a rocker. It's also a great one for Dynamics. This really just shows that they know when to pick up the instrumental pace, when to back it off to little, you know, single ringing hits. I just enjoy Could I Have Been So Blind. It clocks in at a pretty lengthy 3 minutes and 44 seconds, but it, it's still the third <laughs> shortest track on the record. So it kind of feels a little compact on this record that, you know, allows all these other songs to have so much space. Could I Have Been So Blind almost feels a little truncated. Really? I thought so, anyway. It always goes by really fast, like especially after and before the... Five and a quarter minute songs on either side of it. And one of those songs is seeing things.
1: What are you seeing?
0: Well, I it's honestly super ironic to put it back to back with Could I Have Been So Blind.
1: Yeah, that's, it's actually pretty good. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Actually, yeah, maybe it does represent, like, a character growth. Maybe they're meant to be consecutive. Like, he questions how he could have missed it before, and so now with this new perspective, now that his eyes have been opened, he starts to see these new things. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, or maybe I'm reading into it exactly enough. The organ on seeing things is really nice. It's kind of a rare key instrument moment for this song. Yeah, It's another soulful ballad of a song this guy's leaving and he does not plan on coming home again he has seen things he cannot believe apparently he's caught someone doing something they shouldn't be doing wink wink and he says he won't ever recover it's done this irreparable damage to their relationship caused a, a bit of a ruckus <laughs> and so that's what he's talking about i love the double meaning that that introduces you know i'm seeing things for the first time you know i'm seeing what's physically been happening for, for the first time with my own eyes but also i'm finally understanding the truth about you and how you view this relationship clearly for the first time yeah it's a great double meaning and actually for me i know he talked about how you know sister luck was a little bit like the rolling stones seeing things the chorus actually calls to mind for me the beatles and i get by with a little help from my friends It's kind of hard not to make that comparison just when you listen to the dynamics of it you know i'm seeing things for the first time like it, it all feels right there yeah i like seeing things honestly one of my favorite tracks from the album i think and definitely probably i think a justified single this one probably deserved that fifth spot. Fair
1: enough. That takes us into the biggest track. (laughs) Yeah,
0: the biggest one, I think, by far. Now, did you find this song easy to handle, or? Uh,
1: you know, I've listened to it a lot, so... Over time, it's gotten pretty easy to handle.
0: Yeah. Well, in the beginning, I'm sure it was hard to handle. That's track six, Hard to Handle. This, unsurprisingly, was my first exposure to the Black Crows, and it's the song that drew me to this album in particular. You know, there's obviously a lot of other big name songs on here, but you just can't hold a candle, pun intended, to Hard to Handle. It's a cover of an Otis Redding song and like I mentioned it's the only cover that actually made the record and even though it's only 3 minutes and 8 seconds long, it's only the second shortest song on the album and as fast as it is, you know as upbeat and speedy as this version of Hard to Handle is it's actually almost a minute longer than Otis Redding's original. Oh, yeah, I think you'd like the Otis Redding version. Have you ever heard it? I don't think I have. You should look it up. It's very laid back, really horn driven, a lot of brass going on. Very R&B. They're a little different, but I think the Black Crows really do it justice as well as one could. I was impressed to listen to the Otis Redding version. And even though Otis's version is great, this one kind of surpassed the original in popularity very quickly. It was one of the album's singles, and it peaked at number one on the Billboard Album Rock Tracks chart and climbed as high as number 26 on the Billboard Hot 100. I think it features some of their absolute smoothest guitar work, too. The bass line that runs throughout, mmm, it's just really nice, love it. And it's another case where they just show really good judgment on when to back off, when to let the vocals drive home a phrase. It's just fun. And I think the middle of the album placement...
1: It's about perfect.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole experience, the whole experience of Hard to Handle in the middle of this album like this is about perfect. Easy to handle, in fact. Another certified poetry line I just really like, want to talk about. Boys will come along a dime by the dozen. That ain't nothing but 10 cent lovin'. Oh, bravo, Otis. Hats off to you. Good line. And then after Hard to Handle, we finally make it to the quick one. Two minutes and 41 seconds. That is thick and thin. It's different. Thick and Thin... Eh,
1: it could go away.
0: It could go away? Well, it could go away and the album wouldn't even get much shorter, to be honest. (laughs) Thick and Thin starts off with, like, a car crash? Kind of like Kisses Detroit Rock City. I I don't know what to make of that. It's... It's interesting. I, I think Thick and Thin feels to me like a dancey song. You can move, you can groove to this one, but it's just different. It's so verse-focused. You know, the choruses are so quick and so de-emphasized that they're kind of gone before you know they're even happening, which is nice, I guess, that they fit into the flow of the song so seamlessly, but, but I kind of miss their presence a little more. I want them a little pronounced. The bass on the song also gets a good time in the limelight. The drums get to explode into that last push of the song. Well, I just love It's high energy, it's low stakes, it's a fun song, even if... It doesn't necessarily bring much new to the table. I think it still has its own special niche in this tight 10 tracks.
1: Sure, I guess.
0: (laughs) Now, a song that I think probably has to have been on your Rock Hits playlist is She Talks to Angels. Goodness.
1: Yes, that's a good one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is. This was the band's first big song. This was the one that brought them to prominence. And, you know, obviously Hard to Handle was a hit, but they didn't write that. That's a cover. She Talks to angels that's a hit and it's an original yeah it managed to chart in the u.s and in the uk and it's another i mean just tragic song about a girl who's addicted to heroin and it's written from the perspective of someone looking in on that really messy situation
1: yeah it's just so beautiful sounding
0: it is really is most of the song is purely made up Uh, a lot of it is fictional characters fictional story But Chris did know someone from his past, just an acquaintance that he had met in passing. And she's the one that inspired that line, she paints her eyes as black as night. And he took that image that he was inspired by this person and he expanded it into the rest of this song. So it's not a true story, but it's got its roots in reality. And it's a very resonant story. (laughs) He said, it's a funny song in that so many people resonate with it. The dark details like the drugs and things like that would be a part of growing up and being in this world but when i wrote that song i had no idea he said i hadn't done any of those things i hadn't lived that and he went on to say that the band usually tries to live in the moment and write songs that happen in the present rather than dwell on things from the past which is cool i think that kind of gives their music this sense of immediacy yeah it's not overly reflective and it's not overly projective either i mean all these songs don't make claims about the future they don't dwell on the past they're very here and now feeling the consequences of what's happened in the moment
1: such a sad song
0: does it bother you that the song does it feel like a five and a half minute song no it doesn't i don't think so either also side note she talks to angels also inspired another very popular song let her cry By Hootie and the Blowfish. Huh. Darius Rucker loved the Black Crows, loved their style, and he actually got to perform this song with them live. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. I know, neat. We love Hootie. And we end this nice, quiet, (laughs) she talks to angels, and we just...
1: And start strutting the blues.
0: Start strutting the blues. Absolutely. Strutton Blues rips out of the gate. I mean we explode out of She Talks to Angels. It is almost a bit jarring, I think. But maybe necessary to pick up the pace of the album after five and a half minutes of ballad. Strutton Blues is an interesting one because It's another spot where I just have to take notice of his singing style. It's in such a high register. You know, this album leans on that range a lot, but Strutting Blues in particular, I really felt it. And he almost, like, mumbles all these lyrics out. They're not super enunciated. It's just a little obstructed, and I think that's interesting. I don't know. It contributes a lot to the atmosphere of the band in this album, definitely.
1: I'll be honest, though, the end of the album could... It's nothing compared to what's come before it.
0: Wow. I mean, you said that about... So you would lose tracks 7, 9, and 10?
1: Not necessarily lose them. Just after hard to handle and she talks to angels. What are you going to do?
0: They just don't live up. Fair point. I don't know if you can do much that is going to rival or top those. You're right. I think this album maybe does front load itself pretty significantly. I mean, the last 10 minutes of the album are <laughs> questionable. Not not questionable per se, I guess. Just the back two tracks on the album are in my bottom three tracks on the album. And that's a weird way to end it. Yeah. Because, I i mean, it's an album that you go through loving so much of. And then you hit the end and the breaks hit hard. Anyway, Struttin' Blues, it's a fine song. They're just struttin'. I think the most unique part of the song is that massive breakdown at, like, 2 minutes and 40 seconds. The song really desperately needs that kind of an interlude to give it that little oomph to get you through to the end. It's a lengthy track. And then we get to the end of the album... And you're just going to stare at cold.
1: You already know my thoughts. I already kind of spoiled my thoughts on this one.
0: Yeah, not your favorite. Well, stare at cold for me. It's another one where, like Jealous again, I love some of those guitar fills, and I love the way that he stretches for the first bits of these phrases. You know, the rhythm on Stare at Cold is unique, and I like it a lot. But I can understand, like I said, why you wouldn't like it. last two tracks are my bottom threes somewhere. It's also an instance where, you know, I think a lot of these songs, the lyrics get a little jumbly. In my head... It reminded me a lot of what we talked about on R.E.M., where clearly these lyrics have meaning, right? They mean something. It's there. I can feel it. But it's so locked away that we can't really scratch at it without artist input. Like, we need more information to get to the lyrics, just like R.E.M., which makes sense if they're such big fans. Eh. But don't you want to feel it? Don't you want
1: to stare it cold? Yeah, I guess. I guess I do. I keep the apartment pretty chilly. Makes it good for cuddling. For cuddling? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> me and my new pets.
0: Things are getting weird. New pets.
1: Yeah, I got some new pets. I was kind of saving that bomb for episode 100.
0: Okay, well, we won't deal with that yet. But before we get to episode 100, there is one more final spin standing in the way. Shall we knock it out?
1: Let's knock it down twice as hard.
0: Knock it out twice as hard as a normal final spin? Yeah. What's that mean?
1: You'll see when we do it. I'm going to be pretty hard to handle. Good luck. Uh Uh-oh. So you'll
0: be twice as hard. Well, let's talk about scores. Music is really fun. I think a lot of this album maybe risks the potential of feeling a little samey in chord progressions. The melodies are pretty fun. It's just a front-loaded album, so by the time you get to the end of it, you feel like you've heard it all before, I think, which isn't necessarily awful. It's a it's a 10-track album, and thank goodness it's a 10-track album, because all these songs are like four and five minutes long.
1: I know, right?
0: It's a, it's a lengthy one, despite its few tracks musically i'm giving it a 79 i enjoy it but it's got its limits i think musically lyrically again it's a little bit of that rem effect where the lyrics i like in the context of the music they contribute a lot to the vibe of the album you know it's a feel good it's a it's a dance album it's a blues album so a lot of the sad songs are really plaintive and effective a lot of the other songs once we get away from the tragic ballads and stuff I think Thick and Thin, Stare at Cold, strut and Blues. I feel like we lose a little bit lyrically on some of the weaker tracks. Given lyrics a 75, it's a solid score, but there's some room for improvement. Instruments of production, great guitar playing. There's just something about the production, I think, that feels a little dated. I don't think the album maybe sounds as good today as it did in 1990. Uh, it just could use a little, little bit. But again, guitar playing, fantastic. Drums, bass, top notch. Given an 81, and the overall vibe enjoyable significant obviously biggest hits for the black crows a lot of things here that resemble other things that i like and that's cool And obviously, you know, they tour with all the bands that I like. Touring with Aerosmith, touring with ZZ Top, touring with all these other people that I know their music and I'm familiar with. That fits perfectly. I think they know what they're best at, and they exploit it well on Shake Your Money Maker. So I'm giving them an 80 on Vibe, which takes the overall score, you know, with one cover song and a bonus point because of it. They have a 79.2 as an overall score. Nice. Yeah, puts them at number 478 relative to episodes we've done. That is five below Joan Jett, who's at 473 with I Love Rock and Roll. Yeah. And a good seven above Weezer, who is at 485 with their blue album.
1: You know what I care about.
0: (laughs) I know what you care about. You care about Miley. It's a great question. I'll be honest, I really hadn't looked up... (laughs) the stats to compare them because not super similar
1: both rock albums more similar than some other comparisons
0: well you'll be very happy to know miley cyrus is number 422
1: i already forget what this one was (laughs)
0: 478 this is 55 albums below
1: plastic hearts so I can feel the healing starting to begin. We're getting close.
0: The year of healing is approaching. Healing is imminent.
1: It's one certified ruckus away.
0: I'm glad. Well, that's me. Uh, Let's get into your twice as hard final spin. Woo! Let's do it!
1: Uh, No, no. I I don't think I can keep that up. I don't think I can keep it up.
0: That's like three or four times as hard.
1: Yeah, okay. Let me back it down a little bit. Hang on. Woo! Ruckus! <laughs> well, that sounds
0: like about three quarters as hard. You're getting you're overcorrecting.
1: Oh, oh, I overcorrected. I overcorrected. I overcorrected. Alright, well let's do it. First off, I have a bone to pick with you. Bones? Okay. I think this is the first time you've been wrong. Wrong. Last week I asked you if I was gonna miss one of my picks this week, and you said I wouldn't. And you were wrong. I I did. I was wrong. I miss having my honorable mention. And so now I have to suffer with only my top three. No honorable mention.
0: I really, again, as we proved at the beginning of this episode, really underestimated your existing Black Crowes fandom.
1: And they are in album order.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You, hold on i I have a bone to pick with your bone to pick, you knew we were doing the black crows, and you knew you knew the black crows
1: well, I didn't know all all of these songs were on the same album.
0: <laughs> Why'd you have to ask me if you would want your pick?
1: I'm a singles guy, I knew a oh lot of gosh. listen. We do artists all the time that I know. But usually the songs I know are like, there's only maybe like one, maybe two on the album because they're all spread out across different albums.
0: Okay. Well, it, that feels as simple as a quick little.
1: I didn't know 90% of their best songs were going to be on one album. <laughs> well, that's what's
0: unique about it. That's why we picked this album, but fair. Anyway, uh, hit us with your top three.
1: Sorry. Anyway, top three in album order, twice as hard, hard to handle. And she talks to angels. Oh, 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 ouch. What? I only get three.
0: I know. She talks to angels is an important one. You can't pass up on hard to handle. I know. But man, remember when we said (laughs) the front half of the album is stacked and we called the album front loaded repeatedly? And then two of your top threes came from the last five tracks. <laughs> well, how's uh, that score looking then? You you big Black Crows fan, you. What are you thinking? What am I thinking? Oh, it's hard to tell. Usually when you come in with pre-existing knowledge is because you're a big fan of the band. This mm-hmm. one sounds like you're a big fan of the playlist and a handful of the band's songs. So I don't know how you felt about everything that wasn't a greatest hit off this record. But the fact that you were going to take more top threes kind of implies this would at least be a high eight, bottom nine.
1: This gets... Eight Dalmatians out of ten. Oh, eight. Eight Dalmatians. Ooh. That's not like a normal litter size.
0: Yeah, I know. Not 101. Or 99 for episode 99. But that's good, though. Eight is more than Pongo and Perdita have at the start of the movie. Well, in the middle of the movie.
1: <laughs> for most of the movie. Uh. At
0: the, yeah, from, at the start and the end, they have them all again, but in the middle there. So eight, huh? I know that I said it could be an eight, and I still don't know where in your eights you put it, but it kind of stung a little bit when you said eight. Really? Yeah, which is weird, because this album is like four seventy five for me.
1: Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs>
0: like, it's not high on my list. Wild. So I don't know, I, I guess... <laughs> I don't know why that felt that way. It just did. It caught me off guard.
1: It's going right below everywhere by Tim McGraw. Ooh. That unremarkable five head beats out eight Dalmatians.
0: So it does. Well, beautiful. Now, here's another tricky question. Playlist picks on an album where, I mean, I would want to double. I mean, come on.
1: I mean, the album is so front-loaded. Well, it is. The album is so front-loaded. How do you not pick Hard to Handle and She Talks to Angels? (laughs)
0: yeah no i almost wouldn't i think we got to take hard to handle
1: what well, I'm thinking she talks to angels. That's my pick. So.
0: Okay. All right. Force my hand. <laughs> so front loaded. <laughs> we take tracks from the so back half. So front loaded. Darn it.
1: Don't give me. I mean, it is super front loaded. Don't get me wrong. It's just the two heavy hitters, you know. You know, the two heavyweight champions are in the bottom half, but, but it's surrounded by all the lightweights, all the featherweights, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, half featherweights, the black crows. That's funny.
1: <laughs> I didn't even mean that.
0: Well, that's going to do it for. Honestly, that's going to do it for our double digits of Spin It episodes. We'll never have another double digit episode. Isn't that awesome? That's wild. It is wild. You know what that means? Next week is episode 100.
1: You want to give a tease of what we're doing for the big episode? Some of the stuff coming down the pike?
0: I'm so excited. Well, yeah, we'll give a tease.
1: We got some fun stuff coming down the pike for, you know, episode 100 in year three, because year three is also fast approaching. <laughs> yes. Got a couple streams planned, some merch, some supplementary content, that subcon.
0: Yes, plus... Plenty of stuff coming. It'll be everywhere, too. I mean, the streams will be on twitch.tv slash The supplementary content, some of it will be on the Mixtapers Twitter at the underscore Mixtaper.
1: Stay tuned for, you know, next week. Find out what my new pet is. It's a good one. Sure.
0: Yeah, you did mention that you've got some surprises for episode 100
1: i've got some surprises
0: <laughs> i hope to have some too in there are the streams i don't know we'll see we've got more blooper reels coming out
1: and then the mixtapers planning some stuff for year three with his twitter
0: we've got i mean just so much planned stay tuned episode 100 it's gonna be a big one and the best way to stay in the loop is to follow the podcast at spin pod on twitter at SpinItPod official on Instagram and on the web, which is uh, going to have a special episode 100 page next week. And already we've we've made some major upgrades to our websites, like usability and
1: upgrades. People, upgrades, upgrades.
0: Yeah. So SpinItPod.com is that website you can go see all the new things the entire ranking spreadsheet factor spin stats all our spin it awards our stream archive i mean just so much fun stuff
1: so much
0: and until next week and episode 100 keep Keep spinning.
1: spinning there's a dalmatian in this photo that i don't recognize which concerns me.
0: They all look the same.
1: We finally have 100 of them.
0: I mean, I know they're all unique.
1: I don't recognize the one with the teddy bear in the front right. I don't know why I don't recognize that one. I mean, there are 101 of them, but...
0: Oh, that's a pretty recognizable one. You're gonna have to go through the whole collection.
1: Or at least until I find that one.
0: Well, okay. (laughs) Touche. He's right on top. 99 episodes of Outro Banter. What has been your favorite Outro Banter?
1: You bet this if I even remember what last week's was.
0: Hey, (laughs) fair point. I think... One of my favorites was where the mixtaper got stranded in the desert after <laughs> running out of gas in his blimp.
1: That's a great one. Save it for the highlight reel. This is a pretty great one, too.